Well, good morning for those visiting with us. My name is Sean. I'm the worship minister here, and I have the privilege this morning to transition us from the Pursue Jesus part of our sermon series into Pursue One Another. Let me take you back a little bit in time to December 1998. Amy and I were wrapping up our youth and music ministry in Southwest Missouri. And we had had this opportunity to move to Rusheville, Indiana. And we had friends from the church. They helped us load up our truck. They put our car on the back of that truck on a tow dolly. Amy got in her car with our cat behind us. And we prepared to drive. Now, see, the short story is the day before I picked up the truck in town, and it drove just fine, 35 miles an hour, but now fully loaded with a car on the back, we got on the interstate and quickly realized this truck struggled to go 45, 50 at most. And we were on southwest Missouri heading for Rusheville, Indiana. Well, we started early in the morning. We got to St. Louis about nighttime. It was dark. And it had been a long, frustrating today. There was a lot of construction, a lot of things going on, and traffic was bad. And I realized I was in an exit-only lane. So with the big truck and the trailer, I kind of merged over. I got over, and I looked in my rearview mirror, and I realized Amy was not getting over. And she was stuck, and she took the exit. And we later found out it was a exit only with no on-ramp back on the interstate. Again, this was 1998, so we had one Motorola phone. We paid $30 a month for 30 minutes of talk time. And one of our friends packed that phone in one of our boxes. So I, in the truck, I cross over the bridge into Illinois, and I finally find a spot that I can pull over. And I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. And she's not coming. And I'm thinking she's probably waiting on me back there someplace. But I have this truck. Traffic is awful. So I take the next exit into Illinois. And it's a truck stop. And I stop. And I go inside. And this is back when we actually knew people's phone numbers. We had them memorized. And I called my dad. Fortunately, Amy had done the same thing. We relayed through each other where we were, how to meet up. And an hour later, she arrived at the truck stop. So in that frustration, we decided we can go no more today. So we got a hotel. We stayed for the night. The next morning, we got up. The truck slowly made its way through Illinois into Indiana, and we arrived in Rusheville. Frustrated. I wanted to call the company that rented us the truck, but what good would it do? It's not like two people are going to unload the truck and put it in a new one. It was full. So we got to our destination, and we pull up. I will never forget this. There was this large group of people from the church. They were all standing outside, smiles on their faces, and they actually were there the night before and got sent home and came back the next day. We pull up. They unload that car off that trailer. They empty the truck in a matter of minutes. It was amazing to me to sit there and watch. But I'll never forget, Amy and I walked into this small duplex in Rusheville, Indiana, and there on the kitchen counter was an entire grocery store full of groceries. It was on the counter, and when we opened the fridge, it was full of food. And in that moment, my frustration was wiped away. In that moment, it shifted to just being gratitude, because with an expression of welcoming a young family to a church, our hearts were changed. You know, Jesus is our ultimate example of welcoming, encouraging, and serving one another. And at LCC, our hospitality ministry, and those who greet at the doors, those who welcome people through the front, those who serve on our care ministry, those who help provide food for funerals, 
Those who greet people when we host funerals here, all of you play such a vital role in showing hospitality, love to a community. And for those of you who do these things, I want you to hear from the bottom of my heart how grateful we are for you. I want to read Matthew 10, 40 and transition with this thought. The one who welcomes you welcomes me. And the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. You see, that statement comes at the very end of a long discussion. It's a long discussion about the cost of communion and following Jesus Christ. But it's a promise from Jesus for togetherness and identity in him, it gives us a path to unite with one another in the church. And we go beyond welcome. Another form of welcome, that word I've already mentioned once, is hospitality. That word sounds pretty dated today, I know. It sounds like an afterthought to things like prayer and Bible study and evangelism. But the truth is that is so wrong when it comes to practicing our faith, few things are more important than hospitality. This is an area that I am continuing to grow into. It means welcoming one another. It's not just giving another nod from across the room or waving to them. It means opening our doors. It means opening our pantries to one another. It means opening our arms to people when they come into our lives. And sometimes those people are hurting. Sometimes they need to experience the love that we have to share. What Jesus is describing in this text, though, it goes even further than that. The original Greek word takes this word welcome, and it's dekomai, and it takes it to a place where translated it means to receive. In scripture, it's used to describe King Jesus, how he would take a child into his arms and if you had a, a kid's Bible as a kid, you probably can picture this moment. Jesus with his arms around a child, taking them, comforting them. It's the act of listening carefully to someone. Paul later takes this statement, though, and he rephrases it into a command. Therefore, accept, receive one another just as the Messiah also accepted you to the glory of God. You know, Jesus' disciples took this concept incredibly seriously. And in a very short time, this practice was more than they could imagine. It would transform their lives and the whole nature of the church. I want to give you just a little more background before we move on. And that is this word dekomai. When we say receive someone, I'm going to read a definition to you. And please, I want you to picture how personal this definition is. To receive to grant access to, not to refuse contact or friendship. To receive into one's family in order to bring them up and educate. To receive favorably, to give ear to, to embrace, and to make that person your own. As Craig has walked us through the book of Acts with many examples, we find the disciples receiving Jesus and one another, placing the Lord over their own natural families, their own national identity, and their religious groups. And they enter into a deep communion with one another. You know, in Acts chapter 2, we've read this multiple times at this church. Acts chapter 2 describes the early church. And in this moment, this young church had just received the Holy Spirit. And immediately following, they are charged with the task of receiving, taking in 3,000 new believers in one day. And a brand new community people on earth is formed. 
So the believers in Jerusalem received these new believers in a very practical way. And again, we've read this passage many times, but I want you to just take a moment as I'm reading these words and imagine what this really was like. In Acts 2.42, we read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Further on in Acts, we find in Acts chapter 20 that these early Christians not only broke bread together, but they ate meals on a regular basis together. I immediately go back to growing up in Peoria, Illinois, in my church. We went Sunday morning, we went Sunday night, we went Wednesday evening. And just about every Sunday night and every Wednesday night after church, my parents would gather a group of people and we would go to Denny's and there's a restaurant called Lums and Peoria and Steak and Shake. And we would take over, it felt like the entire restaurant. Looking back, it was a very positive time in my life. Now, sure, growing up, there were times I wanted to be with my friends and get back home. I even wanted to get home to see Growing Pains with Kirk Cameron, but it was on Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock, and I couldn't do that. But I love that time looking back. There was time with friends, and it was fellowship, and I grew up in that environment. The simple phrase that we find is a profound picture of what's happening in this firstborn Christian church, and they are receiving one another. Hospitality, it's an open door, which is an open heart. And that open heart be becomes receiving. And receiving, it becomes sharing. And sharing becomes community, the adoption into a family. You know, none of us is called to be everything to everyone. But we all are called to give what we have, something to someone else to pour into outside of ourselves. So let me ask you this question before we dive deeper into our text this morning. Through this time, is there someone that's popping in your head? Who is God asking you to receive, to reach out to? Hebrews 10, 24, 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, the dictionary definition of the verb encourage is to give support, confidence, hope to someone. And with origins even deeper than that, it's to give courage to someone's heart. So like, quite literally, it's encourage the support of the heart of someone else. Now, we're going to transition into our text today, and this is Acts chapter 14. It's kind of the meat of this message. All of this has been to set this scene. I want you to imagine what it was like for this early church. You know, the work and example of Barnabas, the encourager, is found throughout the book of Acts. And Barnabas, honestly, probably had many gifts, but the one that we find most common in the book of Acts is that he was an encourager. His spiritual gift of exhortation, encouraging others, is such a dominant one in this book, especially for him to get his nicknames from the disciples, and they put it in the Bible that you're reading. 
but perhaps God had given him the gift of courage as well. And I want to explain why. Imagine the scene. We have Paul, as we know him, but he was Saul at the time. Throughout early part of Acts, we see Paul pursuing those who call themselves Christians, followers of Jesus, in complete conflict of what Saul had thought. And he pursued, he arrested, he persecuted these people. We find in this moment, church persecutor Saul. He had his, his conversion encounter on this road from Jerusalem up to Damascus. And he met Jesus in that moment. So naturally, the, the Christians, the disciples in Jerusalem are naturally afraid of this man. Why would they want this man around them? They thought perhaps he was faking it to infiltrate this new church and to destroy it. But I want you to read in Acts 9, 27. This is what Barnabas does. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved them freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And I apologize, I said 14. We're jumping around just a little bit. I'll get you caught up to 14 in a moment. But we remember Paul's missionary journeys, all the places that he went in ministry. But as we read closely, you're gonna find that Barnabas played a very important role in this missionary journey that Paul took. And when the Jerusalem church selects Barnabas in Antioch, we read in Acts eleven twenty four. he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And he had a great number of people were brought to the Lord through him. And then Barnabas goes to Tarsus and he brings Saul to Antioch in verse 26. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and they taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So last week, Craig, he walked us through the beginning of Acts chapter 14. And just to give you a recap, we have Paul and we have Barnabas, who had just performed this miracle of healing a cripple. And the crowd's natural response to him was that this, these two must be gods. They're excited, they're cheering. And in this moment, Paul says, no, we are just ordinary men. God gets all the glory. And you see something take place here in Acts chapter 14. This takes us to our text today. That is Acts 14, 19 to 23, where we're going to spend a majority of our remaining time. I want you to see the early church in action. So beginning in verse 19, we see this transition. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and they dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. You see this transition from praise to persecution. So with this map on the screen, we have the Jews in the synagogue in Antioch. They're so full of jealousy, watching Paul and Barnabas interact with the crowds. The large numbers are growing. And out of frustration, these same Jews leave the synagogue. They go to Iconium and they gather more people. They travel down to Lystra, and they stir up this crowd immediately following this moment of healing a cripple. And in their jealousy and frustration, they turn the crowd against them, and Paul is stoned. You know, my mind immediately jumps back 
to Acts chapter 8 when I saw that Paul was stoned. I'm going to give you just a little bit of a recap. We're going to stay in 14, but I'm going to jump ahead to a moment in Acts 22. Because in Acts chapter 8, here is Paul, Saul at the time, on the other side of a situation much like the one we just read. In Acts 22, he is given a defense for how God has saved his life and how Jesus has changed his heart. But he's got to talk about where he was and where he is now. I'm going to read Acts 22, 19 and 20. Lord, I replied, this is Paul talking. These people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And Stephen was killed by stoning. You know, in this moment, this inspiring moment takes place in Acts chapter 14, 19 to 23. Let's see if you see it as I read through. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and they dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and he went back into that city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Did you catch that? Did you see what happened in that moment? Out of fear, these same disciples that saw Jesus Christ arrested in that garden, the ones that fled, the ones that even denied who Jesus was, they denied even knowing him. Now in this scene, we find the opposite taking place. They could have been concerned with their own safety, perhaps guilty by association. But no, we see a different response. The disciples, they gathered around Paul and Paul is able to continue on. If you pause for a moment and take the reality of all of that in, this scene would play out incredibly well on a screen. You have this man who had been persecuting, crucifying people, stoning them, and through conversion is now in with this very same group. And after a moment of him being stoned, the same group of people now gathering around him. It is an amazing example of God's conversion. No one is out of the reach of God. Paul and Barnabas in this situation is an amazing thing. So as you take this all in for a moment, Consider this thought. They were effective. They were bold. This group performed signs and miracles and wonders, and they preached the gospel. They appointed elders for the churches. They welcomed. They encouraged. And they served. And as an example, we continue on in Acts 14. They preached the gospel in that city, and they won a large number of disciples. They returned to Lystra, to Iconium and Antioch, and strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. But Paul and Barnabas, they appointed elders, ordained elders, or had elders elected for them in each church. And with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. So in this moment, if you would look at the map on the screen, 
after Paul is nearly stoned to death. He and Barnabas shake the dust off their feet and they travel on east to Derby. And in their courage, they find the courage not to go home a different way, but they retrace their steps through the exact place that, they, that Paul was stoned, that they were chased and persecuted. They go back through Lystra. They go back north to Iconium and then west over to Antioch. It is amazing what these men did in this moment for the beginning of the church. So with this map on the screen, I want to pause for a moment. If you look at Antioch and you look to the east and you see Iconium, if you were to look and I was to pull the view back on this screen, 160 miles east of Iconium is where the second earthquake took place this past week in Turkey. And 30 miles south of that location, the Syrian border is the first epicenter, the earthquake that took this week or it happened earlier this week. Just south of that is Damascus. And then there's this road that leads to Jerusalem, the very area that Paul had this conversion. Now to go on this missionary journey, Paul on a ship crossed the water and came up in those southern areas of that part south of Antioch. But I want to pause for a moment. I know you, like me, have watched the news. And it seems so far away. It seems like a movie to see the news report that now 28,000 people have lost their lives. It's hard to imagine. I'm not a claustrophobic person, but I get panic feelings every now and then when I imagine what it must have been like. I think I saw last night a family of five rescued after seven days under rubble. The turmoil that this area of the world is experiencing right now with millions without a place to stay, people struggling to provide food and water. It's winter in this area. There are so many things going against this. So I want to pause in this sermon right now and let's pray. Let's ask God to move. Father God, my heart goes out to those here in Turkey and, and on the Syrian border and those just impacted by this devastation of these, of these earthquakes. Father, I pray for those who have experienced unimaginable loss and I pray for your comfort. Much like Jesus welcoming me into his arms and hugging and comforting. God, I pray that you would wrap these people with people who know you. That God, through your love, an example can be shown God, I pray that they, this region, through your mighty work, can have a revival, people coming to know you. I pray for boldness for those who are working, that they can share their faith. God, I pray for resources. I pray for this entire world as we come together to provide and help. I pray that you will do amazing things. Give comfort to those that are hurting. Strengthen the churches in the area. Help them rise up and be what you've called them to be. Father, I also pray that you will just lift this church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I see you all coming. I apologize. I'm gonna have you step back out. I told Shannon was right. I thought, I told them the cue is I'm gonna pray and they're gonna come out. They have time. You can rest. I, I got a little more to go.
because they made the cue. That was the important part. So, all right. So in that moment, yeah, I'm praying and I could hear them coming. So in that moment, I am just, my heart goes out to this region. And I want to just backtrack for a moment. If you could just put the map one more time on the screen, Kim, I'd appreciate it. Uh, it, it is amazing this region so desperately needs to know Christ. Just like we do, Paul knew this area well. The disciples knew this area well. What takes place in this area truly is amazing. The building up, the strengthening, the heartening, the reassuring, the fortifying others, exhorting towards faith, hope, love, unity, joy, patience, self-control, being connected to Jesus daily. These truly are the essence of spiritual gift of exhortation. I want to give you a personal example, and I didn't want to make the worship team stand behind me and listen to this story because preachers have a habit of talking about their kids. We've all heard that story, but I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to talk about me and then remember, I'm a father who has raised kids. I can't imagine going through what I'm about to share with you. Let me get a drink really quick. It was the second semester, the last semester of my junior year in high school. I was a pretty good kid. I really hadn't done hardly anything wrong that you would consider from a parent's point of view. I mean, I wasn't perfect, that's for sure. But I grew up in church. I had a good foundation. And as I think back 33 years later, I really can't remember the true emotions behind the thoughts that I was feeling. But here I was sitting in class. It was biology class. The night before I had taken a bunch of my clothes and personal belongings, I threw them in a duffel bag. The next morning I open the screen, I open the window and I throw the duffel bag out the window. I go downstairs, I open the door, I say goodbye to my mom, I go out the door, I grab the bag, I get in the car and I go to school. And when I arrived there, the plan was with my $117 that I had earned from Kentucky Fried Chicken, I was gonna meet two friends. I was gonna leave that car in the parking lot, get in my friend's car and we were gonna run away to Florida from Morton, Illinois. So in this moment, I arrive at school. I got it all planned out how it's gonna go, and guess what? My friends were not there. I have my bag in the car, and like I said, I was a good kid, so what do you do? I guess you go to school. This was before cell phones. It's not like I was gonna text or call them, where are you? That was it. So I went into school, first period, second period, third period, sitting in biology class, the emotions are building. I'm getting more and more frustrated because I had this plan. I stand up, I pick up the biology test, I walk over to the trash can, I drop it in, I open the door, I walk out, go down the hallway, out the front door, to the parking lot, to my empty parking spot. In the few short hours I have been gone, my mom figured a few things out, and she came to school, and she got that car, and she took it home. So in this moment of fear and panic, realizing my life was over as I knew it, I grew up in church. Youth group was a great part of my life. It was probably the most influential time growing up. So I walked a mile up the road to McDonald's, and I called one of my youth sponsors. We had two husband and wives that served our church as volunteers, and I called Kay. Kay answered the phone. Kay could have said anything. I'm sorry, I'm at work, I'm busy, whatever. She had little girls, but she dropped everything that she was doing. She got in the car and she drove 45 minutes to meet me from her town to the town that I was in. 
And she sat with me in McDonald's and we talked and we prayed. Now, at the end of that conversation, she could have said, you know, I'm going to just take you back home and uh, you let me know how things go with your parents. She could have just been fine with that. That would have been more than enough. But she could tell I was emotional and pretty upset. So she said, you know what? If it's okay with you, would you like to come home with my husband and I and our, and our girls and just spend the weekend and I'll call your mom and make sure everything's okay. So she did that and I went, went home with her for the weekend. And during that time, we talked, I shared, we prayed, we talked about a lot of things, many things that I had probably forgotten today. And in that weekend, I had a shift. I took my faith more seriously. I began to pray for a future Christian spouse. A little bit later through my senior year, the idea of what is next, going to Bible college, going into ministry. This weekend was a pivotal moment in my life. And this lady and her husband and family had a pivotal role in that. As a teenager, I could have called. I could have done anything in that moment. I am so grateful the foundation that I had growing up in church that when I was in trouble, I called somebody from my church and they ministered to me. Like Jesus wrapping his arm around someone, giving them comfort. That's what I experienced that weekend. So I returned home Sunday night. I didn't return home to a lecture. My parents listened. As I said, they're very supportive. They listened that night I went to bed. I got up the next morning. I went to school. I met with my guidance counselor. I met with my vice principal. I was given a detention. Arrangements were made for me to take that biology test. And life just went on. Grace, grace, God's grace, greater than my sin, greater than what I deserve. I was kind of amazed in that moment but it was a turning point. Senior year was much better, graduation going forward, but it was a pivotal moment. On a side note, I ran into one of those friends that summer, and uh, in our conversation, I said, hey, why did you not meet me? And he said, I knew you, and I knew your parents. You had nothing to run away from, and they went. So here's the funny part. They got in their car. They drove to Indianapolis, they drove around 465 multiple times. They went to many movie theaters, and their money was about to run out, and they realized this wasn't going to work. And they went back to Morton, Illinois, dropped out of high school, and to this day, I'm not exactly sure what path they are on. It was a pitiful moment in my life, and I'm grateful for how the church was there for me. I grew up with very sacrificial church volunteers, the two husband and wife teams that served in my home church. They truly lived out what I was reading in my Bible. They could have simply been too busy to help me in my time of need, but they invited me in, and I'm eternally grateful for the investment that they poured into my life. If Christ has saved you, church, then you, out of your love for him, we need to be passionate to serve one another. And Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I've entered into my uh, 28th year of ministry. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. And that is the greatest relationships that I've made have been on a mission trip, serving on Habitat, serving with a group of people on a platform singing, 
painting kids' auditorium ceilings on ladders, redecorating, decorating, on and on it goes, rocking babies, serving in kids' church, just small examples from those relationships I am so grateful that I made while serving with other people. If you have found yourself maybe coming into church and you just haven't made the connection, when it comes around again and we talk about opportunities to serve, there are benefits to serving too, and I want you to know that. I want to wrap up this sermon with this. Be encouraged by God's word. Allow that encouragement to inspire you to action, and let's be the church that God has called us to be, and let's reach this community together. Let's pray. Father God, as we in this moment reflect on your word, God, we reflect on the truth of all that you have said. The example that we see in your word. God, it truly is amazing how this small group of people reached this world and it branched out. And part of that was through the strengthening, encouraging, the welcoming, the serving. God, through all of those experiences, you have done incredible things. I thank you for just being real to me. I pray, God, that our, through our conviction and love for you would move many, that God, through they would be a witness that they would see that you are real, that God, you would move in a mighty way. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.